This episode of the Business Samurai Podcast is brought to you by Lamar Marie Popcorn. You can get now one bag and get a second bag for half off with the code BARKER at checkout. So if you like your snacks a little sweet, a little salty, a little mixture of both, go check out LamarMarie.com and all of the flavors that they have for your next snacking sensation. That is LamarMarie.com with code BARKER at checkout for buy one, get one, half off. If you know your business needs to be more secure, but don't know how it drives value, and you hate all of the technical mumbo jumbo, then you are in the right place. Welcome to the C Word for Business podcast, where cash is king and the C stands for cyber. The only cybersecurity related podcast aimed at you, the business leader, to cut past the jargon and help you with cyber risk management in terms you will understand, business. You will learn the best tech related metrics to track, how communication is the lifesaver when it comes to cyber, and how good policy will fix the weak link when it comes to security, people. Listen in on conversations with world-class business leaders and how they manage risk. We will deconstruct their processes on how they choose to protect themselves, their team, and customers. You are stepping into a world of proactive business with your hosts, AJ Orr and John Barker. Hey, what's up, AJ? Uh, ready to kick off the C Word for Business podcast. Super excited to be here. I think we're gonna have a good twist uh, relating bridging that gap between business and tech without all the, the techno mumbo jumbo. Good to see you, man. Hey, you too. You too. And I think it's going to be a lot of fun as we put this thing together. Um, like you said, give people a different perspective on the things that they should know and that they should be aware of, but at the same time, uh, present it in a way that's not going to bore them to death. And so as we kick off the first episode of the C Word podcast, uh, we're going to cover three articles today, and I think we picked out three good ones. Uh, we're going to talk about why the, the Nevada CIO retiring out of the blue, or not retiring, but resigning out of the blue, which I think is very interesting. Um, the rise of third-party attacks, and we know that these things are increasing, but what does that really mean, and how is that going to impact business? What does it mean in, in, in real language terms, uh, in basic language terms, for easy people to, or for everybody to understand? Um, and then finally, the AWS disruption. Um, it isn't the first time it's happened, but at the same time, what does that really mean? in the bigger scheme of things. And so uh, as we as we look to cover those three things, I'll go ahead and let you kick off the introduction to the first one for us. Yeah, no, sounds good. I appreciate it. Uh, so this is coming from Government Technology. This is uh, govtech.com, and we'll make sure we have all the links to any of the articles in, I'm in the show notes so anybody wants to go follow up and read the details. So uh, the CIO, Alan Cunningham, who stepped down last November, uh, because he thought the job responsibilities had completely changed. And a, a few of the highlights of the uh, of the article, he'd only been in the job since uh, August of 2020. And the former CIO had only been there for about two years or so any, as well. So they've had a lot of high turnover there. And part of the problem that they were looking at, or as it was stated, and there's not a lot of context, and that's something I think you and I will talk about and kind of conjecture. But his primary concern was the state was requesting to keep to create a five and and 10-year technology strategy plan. Uh, and, you know, they were like, we're, we can't use a crystal ball. How are you supposed to do this within 24 to 48 months? I mean, the exact quote uh, from them was, uh, technologists at the state level are trying to use a crystal ball to figure out what kind of tech do we use in the next 24 to 48 uh, months. On top of that, uh, that they were short-staffed. Many of the IT staff members were working long days. They were feeling burned out. Uh, they're with, with COVID and they're, they're working from home. Everybody was stretching into nights and weekends. And also Nevada had the requirement, if you were a state employee, you had to be a resident of Nevada. So it wasn't even like they could go find additional staff to go make up for some of the shortages. Uh, and then 
they just they felt you know it was under overworked under resourced to to make what was going on so he finally you know was like i i you know i've had enough i can't work under these conditions so hearing all that type of stuff what what would you think being in his role uh would be how, how would you have approached that type of situation uh i think you threw a lot of stuff out there so let's let's unpack it a little bit at a time um, and I think one of the, the first things that you that you laid out there was the fact that he's been in this position for less than a year and his predecessor was in that position for two years or less. And so that right there tells me they've got an issue. They've got an organizational issue. There's issue, there's something going on in there because CIOs are hard to come by. And at the same time, whenever you get a good one, you tend to keep them and hold on to them. They've gone through two and three years. I mean, think about that kind of turnover. Two CIO, I mean, we're not talking about an entry-level tech position. We're talking about the guy who streamlines and runs the vision of technology for your organization. And you went through two of them in three years. That seems, I mean, that's an organizational issue just as much as it is an issue that he may have had. And I, and I think that, that what he pointed out, or at least what was pointed out in the article, um, are things that business leaders are struggling with across the board, which is right now it's a volatile job market. Um, because, you know, everybody's looking for good tech people. And so finding good tech people are hard to find. Work from home has put a major stress on technology resources. And so now we're doing a whole lot more than what we have before. So now we're dealing with burnout. You've got to be able to account for all of that as well. And so I, I think, you know, there's, there's a lot that could go into why he resigned and, you know, and, and without talking to him, we don't know all the specifics of, you know, what was going through his head, you know, but those are all challenges that we all face right now. You know, as, as somebody who lives and breathes in the IT business and the, in the cybersecurity sector, you know, it's what we deal with. You know, we've got, I, I have to make sure that I'm managing and watching out for burnout and making sure that not only I, but the rest of my team and my staff that, that they don't get burnt out. And so, there's a lot of there's a lot of issues with the I would say on the organizational side there may have been a lot of technology issues but this goes back to an organizational thing from my perspective as I read through the article. No, I agree. I want to bring up a few specific points and conjecture a little bit. So I'm going to pull out my crystal ball based on this article not having some context. From a business standpoint, I wanted to know, and, and again, I know there's political processes involved when you're dealing with the legislature. I've, I've, I don't know if you have. I know I've worked on you know things at a state and local level for sure. Oh, well, even federal, I guess, some projects. But I, I do know that it's impossible to pick out specific technology in you know forward-looking five to ten years. That's an impossible task at the rapid rate that we're changing. So I, I truly wonder if a, a, an approach that were they asking for specific technology or were they are they looking for business priorities because i do think that you can you can prioritize business functions and then once you get that priority you go hey this project's going to be a year this project may take two years and you're going to identify that specific tech i agree with that to an extent um because there's 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 some situations that you come into you know once again without having full mm -hmm. the full optics on this thing because what happens if I can forecast out five years and, and give you an idea of what we might need, but that's only if the things that are here are right. 
So like if I'm on solid ground and I've got a solid foundation, we've got good operations, we've got this, that, and the other, then I can kind of forecast, okay, if we want to have this functionality in the future, what is our what are our business goals? And this is stuff that we sit down and talk with, with business owners about all the time. You know, what are you trying to do in the next five years so that we can then wrap technology around it to help you get there faster? And once you get there, you're more efficient, you're you're ready to move on to the next thing. So I get them them wanting to be able to say, hey, we want to forecast out. I would you're in the technology world. I wouldn't forecast out further than five because things are going to change. By the time you get there, everything that you were working towards may be obsolete by then, or at least it might be five years older by then. And so that, that, that's a challenge. But but I still I still I still challenge that the, the premise of going when you're looking at a priority of the, the the issues you're going to tackle, and I would sit there and bring this back to whether it's technology focused or not. You know, it, obviously it's CIO. You're going to be technology focused, but CIOs at the at, at this level need to be on value drivers. It's not going. It's not you have to avoid being that shiny object syndrome person. You've got to sit there and go, where are big gaps by talking to the stakeholders? We need to go talk to everybody that's involved uh, and sit there and go, where can we improve processes? Where can we provide more value, you know, in this case, to the citizens of Nevada? Where, where are those, those things? Then go identify specific technologies in place and then sit there, you know, from, from that standpoint of building a strategy without looking at specific tools that may evolve because that thing is so because you've identified something that the impact is is too minute to deal with now we've got something that's more pressing now you would agree with that i, I would agree with that i would agree with that because not only that but as you as you introduce new technologies or whatnot into your into your organizational workflow it's going to present different issues that you didn't forecast and that you didn't see so there, there's always going to be something that, that is creeping up but for them to say, hey, we want you to put together a five to 10 year plan and, and, and have goal structures built around that, it's just, it's just, it's not realistic. It's not real. And, and as a business leader and a business owner, I, I don't know how, I mean, I wouldn't even, I wouldn't even try to put that in place. And I, I wouldn't even tell my clients to do that. You know, when it, especially when it comes to technology, I mean, it's, it changes too quickly. It's the fastest changing industry on the planet. Uh, hands down, I don't know of anything else that's changing faster than what technology is doing. Uh, and it's only going to continue to get faster with the way in which we're rolling out new things. There's new opportunities that, that are being presented because of technology. So to, to forecast out 10 years, I mean, just think about it. 10 years ago, what was technology like 10 years ago? And how, how many iterations have we gone through in the last 10 years? Forget the last 10. How many iterations have we gone through the last five, the last two? Technology is changing so quickly. I mean, Heck, now VR is becoming a real thing. How quickly did that come around? You know? <laughs> uh, let me shift gears real quick before we move on to the to the next topic. Particularly in this particular uh, industry, or I don't want to say industry, you're dealing with uh, government. And a lot of uh, government comes from people that are currently elected. Now, I don't know if he experienced in his, in his short time there a changeover in leadership. I have experienced this and have been witness to this on some projects where the new elected leader comes in with a new initiative. So particularly in, in this where you get, you may have changed over every two years or four years, I would say in, in most cases, I, I don't even know how you would even project that out knowing that it's even a possibility. State of Virginia, you know, I'm in Virginia for anybody listening, you know, the governor of Virginia is elected to one four year term. He can run again, but he cannot run consecutively, even if he wanted to. 
because we've had instances of the governor, you know, there's been a gap and then they run again. McAuliffe, you know, he lost this last election, but he's already been the governor, but he couldn't do it twice in a row. So you're guaranteed on the next election to get a change in leadership, change in priorities, shifting focus. So as a state level employee who may have been employed for 20 years through all that, how can you plan for that? You can't. You can't. You can't. I don't know that you can because I've seen it. I've seen something happen with political appointees on the government project come in. They're there for like 10 months before they get appointed to the next thing. And the teams are just kind of milling around and milling around and milling around. Well, so, and that's a valid point. I think he made one more point in this article before we before we jump ship and move on. It's the fact that he said that the, the other employees or the other state employees and, and, and workers didn't understand what it actually took in order to bring about or to uh, act against the, all the initiatives that they had in place, and which is something that uh, you know I know that I find, and I'm sure that you've come across it as well, is that whenever you're working with C-level executives that don't understand technology, um, getting them to understand the speed in which things can or cannot move or the things that need to get done before and properly prioritize those things, this is where I would place a little bit of blame on 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 Alan Cunningham whenever he decided to resign instead of stick it through is that it's your job as a CIO to paint that picture. It's your job to help them to understand and to bridge that gap for what technology is and, and where it's at and where, you know, helping them to understand where they're at from a technology standpoint as an organization and then understanding where they want to go and, and what it's going to take in order to make that happen. That's your job as a CIO. You should be bridging that gap. You should be having that conversation. That's part of the job. And if you can't get them to buy in, because once again, we've all run projects. And if you don't have buy in from the top to the bottom, then the chances of your project succeeding or, or ending where you want it to end are very slim. And so as a CIO, that's your job to lead that conversation, get buy in from the top so they get, they get a better understanding of what it takes in order to do the things in which they're asking you to do. Well, that's, That's the imaginary it. bell in my head. That's my and, two cents. Yes. And <laughs> we're going to move on to the next article. Um, if you want to introduce that. or so, Absolutely. Absolutely. So the next article that we came across was the rise of third party attacks. And so basically a quick synopsis of this was that the fact that businesses around the globe are experiencing major concerns over the impact of the, uh, of the supply chain attacks when it comes to cyber attacks on the supply chain and how much they think that these attacks are going to increase over the coming years. You know, they've started to see a definite increase in these, in these types of attacks, along with ransomware attacks along all over in the Asian Pacific area. And what that really means to us as a, as a business and global community, what does that really mean to us? And so that's one of the things that I, that I wanted to tackle in this conversation piece on this article. Uh, but I'll, I'll kick it to you to start off on, on your thoughts uh, on this piece first. Oh, sure. I, I look at, in a lot of cases with ransomware attacks to strictly be a people problem. Not a hundred percent, but a lot of the people problem because where do most ransomware type of attacks come from? It comes through email. It comes from, you can have the greatest filters in the world that still will get something through the filter. You know, something will get through the, the, the tactics that they are using to try to do phishing campaigns and that stuff are evolving. Try to get somebody to click the links, open the attachment. So I look at that a lot of that as a, as a people problem. And part of it, the article even said here, it takes a, a, an on average of 146 hours to detect an incident of this nature. Imagine what can happen in 146 hours with all the automation and stuff that goes into place. Um, 
So this needs to become, you know, I, I think we have a, a very short, I don't want to call it a short attention span. We're very quick to go through things. So people aren't as cautious. That's the reason why I know you preach repeated micro training, regular training and regular intervals. I mean, I've been involved, you know, personally where it's like, hey, you get your once a year cyber awareness training. And, and instead it's like, no, don't, don't make anybody, including me who knows the stuff, sit in a room for eight hours to go through your annual training so I can get my PDF certificate to shove in an employee folder, for instance. This needs to be regular throughout the day. The people need to be diligent throughout the day. So that's my first thought, you know, uh, as far as as that. It's, it's interesting because I read the article from a completely different lens and I looked at it from the the vulnerability and it, the, the proof of how vulnerable our global supply chain is. That's the, that's the perspective that I've read this article in. I was like, all right, well, how does that apply to me? I was like, I'm reading this article, you know, great. Over in the Asian Pacific, you know, they're having issues. Everybody's having issues with cyber attacks and, and having to deal with ransomware. How, what does that mean to me? Why should I care? And as I thought about it and I, I looked at it from that lens, you know, COVID and, and this whole pandemic has, has shaken our, our supply chain. I mean, right now we're seeing prices on the shelves go up because of not being able to get goods, goods sitting in, at ports and not being able to get delivered. You know, we have all these supply chain issues that everybody's scrambling, trying to figure out how to, how to make it work. You know, I've, I've heard the other night where, uh, you know, there's, there's organizations that are trying to uh, convince the White House to not push through with this mandate because they're afraid of losing a bunch of truckers with this 100 employee mandate you know they're afraid of, of losing truck drivers and we already know truck drivers aren't there as it stands right now as part of the supply issues that we're that we're facing so we've already got supply issues here in the u.s and so then we look at okay well how does this asian pacific uptick in cybercrime and ransomwares impact us and i'm like well if i look at if i pick up anything and i look at the bottom of it it's going to made in China, made in Taiwan, made, it's made over in the Asian Pacific. It's not made here. So if it can't get here because their production was shut down because of a cyber attack, ransomware or a hack or what have you, if, it can't, if they can't produce it, they can't get it here, then that's even going to further weaken our supply chains over here. And I thought it was interesting, you know, once again, I, I tell people all the time, cybercrime is big business. You know, it's a it was a two trillion dollar industry last year, two trillion dollars. So this, well, this is big. This is a big business. And the uh, additional extortion fees averaged seven hundred and ninety two thousand dollars, according to the, the survey on the, the ZDNet. I forget who actually produced that. Do you think do you think the last couple of years as these types of attacks, the ransomware attacks that are, that are shutting stuff down? you know, more frequently are, are starting to grab more headlines like this, that people are start stopping to think about necessarily geographic borders. I know this talks about Asia Pacific specifically, but thinking more in terms of, you know, that interlocking interactions with people, you know, they think about, I'm trying to think of a different term besides just supply chain, because I know that gets used a lot now because everything is so slow, but more on strategic, you know, who are my strategic partners that I have to function with and if something happens to them, even though they're another business, it directly impacts me and my ability to provide my service and goods going forward because they didn't do something on their line. Do you think you, we're going to see an evolution of that? I, I think we have to. 
Um, because I think that businesses, if they're not thinking that way, if business leaders aren't looking at it from that perspective, then they need to. Otherwise, they find themselves uh, behind the eight ball in a lot of situations and, and being reactive to situations rather than being proactive with them. Um, and, and so I also think, you know, what I gleaned from this article, because I thought it was very interesting. And hold on, I'm going to look. So I, I, I put the numbers up right. So ransomware payouts in the Asian Pacific are averaging $2.35 million per attack, as opposed to in the U.S., they're averaging $1.55 million per attack. So even criminals are realizing, one, I can get more money for this because if I attack the supply chain, especially the global, I'm having global impact now. I'm not just having you know impact to just one business. I'm having global impact now. They're attacking industries and resources that are that are typically deemed as being less secure so they're attacking them they're hitting them hard and they're squeezing every last dime out of them which i think you know from a from a criminal's perspective well from a business acumen perspective i kind of tip my hat like hey they, they, they saw supply and demand uh you know they saw an opportunity they're taking advantage of it but from a business perspective you know this is what we're dealing with and as business leaders if you're not thinking about this stuff and you're not not preparing yourself for these things of what could happen it's all about risk mitigation you know as business leaders we we live and die by the risks that we take that's, that's the reason why we're in business and i think that's you know us future looking with discussions i know that we'll have and bring guests on to talk about specifically that you know where where is that line of you know, risk mitigation, risk acceptance, risk avoidance, where and where, how do you spend the dollars with that? And we will definitely be touching on that. Yeah, I'd like to figure out how you want to cut so it. I want to stop this. I want to stop that last article, you know, talking about the ransomware, you know, in Asia Pacific and talking about supply, go, uh, 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 supply chains. It ties perfectly into the next article that we got that with the, the AWS outage and how to be prepared for this type of stuff that even the best can uh, get into that. So if you want, I'll, I'll briefly go through the article real quick. Uh, this was from uh, Information Week and what, you know, and this is the second biggest time, the second time in a, roughly a year that AWS in the region has went down affecting companies like I think Netflix and some others in there. Uh, it was down for roughly seven hours. It was the Northern Virginia region, which is actually near me, which I'm, I'm kind of surprised. I don't know that I personally experienced anything when this when this went down. But uh, essentially, they had some uh, capacity issues, and that's what these things are designed to do. You move a lot of your your core. You, when it first thing started out, you put kind of secondary things. People still kept core infrastructure in house for stuff like you know old Exchange servers. I managed more than my fair share of internal email servers and web servers, stuff like that. Then, as the cloud was starting to become its thing, granted, I moved out of the hands-on pieces, but. You started moving the secondary things till now it's like all core function there's very little that people maintain internally anymore because they want the availability which goes into that whole cia triad thing for any of you you know really in the know what that is but the availability piece and your uh, and your five nines if you're not familiar with the five nines it's 99.9999 percent i don't know if that was five or six uh, but essentially that uh and i have a chart because i was doing this for something else that type of uptime means you'll only experience uh, five minutes and 26 seconds, if I'm correct, of downtime per year. AWS had s uh, seven hours of outage there. So, you know, it's, it's funny how 
you know, what are we supposed to do? I mean, you put that stuff there, there, where's the, where's the threshold where you're going, what's acceptable? How well do you know your numbers? Well, and I, and I thought this was an interesting article, um, you know, especially since, you know, like it pointed out, this isn't the first time this has happened. Um, and it happened last year, back in 2020, uh, in November. So around kind of around the same time it happened because of a capacity issue back then. Um, this time, I believe it was because they had some faulty device, some, they had several failing network devices, uh, that took them down. So they had to replace these things. And so it took a little over seven hours to do it. Uh, cool. So, so taking a step back, you know, to me, this is the nature of the beast. And this, you know, from a business business level perspective, this is what we now have to account for because moving to the cloud is still a good thing. You know, it still does not make sense for every, from my perspective, it doesn't make sense to have everything in local environments and everything else like that. There are advantages to the cloud. Those advantages do not disappear. But just because there, all these advantages exist, doesn't mean that it doesn't have its detractions that we have to, once again, risk mitigate you know you have to have good continuity plans business continuity i know that you've got it people that are telling you about business continuity plans and why they're important this is one of the reasons why it's important because you need to understand what are you going to do because this this story is about aws but don't get it don't get it wrong Amazon has their issues. Google has their issues. Microsoft definitely has their issues. I mean, none of none of these guys are impervious to this. So if whatever your hosting platform is, wherever you're you're putting up and standing up your infrastructure, wherever that's at, what happens if that if, if that is no longer available to you? And it can be something that is caused miles away from you because once again, this took down a, a whole Eastern region. So it wasn't just one small town that was a minor inconvenience. You know, as I look back at the article, uh, this impacted Athena, it impacted Chime, Netflix, and Disney Plus in addition to all of their web services in that Eastern region. So what do you do? How, how are you going to build against that? And, and this is why you should, from this, a C-level executive position, you should be talking with your IT people and, and everybody in that suite to say, okay, if this happens, what, what kind of risk are we going to assume? How do we avoid? What do we do? What is going to be our response so that while ever they're down, because you don't know how long it's going to take them to get the system back up and running. In this case, it took a little over seven hours, but that seven hours, if your infrastructure isn't available, what do you do? How do you run? How do you operate? Are you dead in the water? I think this also comes in a place where you've got to know your finances. This is where having a strong relationship with the CFO, the COO, and the CEO come into place or whatever scale your business is, because you should know how much downtime costs your business. You're going to have direct and indirect costs that are related to that. So you can sit there hypothetically and go, all right, we're down for an hour. I know it costs me for hypothetically $1,000 an hour to run my business. We're down, it's costing me $1,000 and I'm not making money. On top of that is that opportunity cost that's lost during that time period of the outage as well. So then you're coming back with what's the formula where we go the pain threshold so high because we've experienced a couple of these outages now. Imagine a company like Netflix, you know, how much is it costing them being down for seven hours, being one of the biggest platforms on the planet? for instance, right. but to sit there and go, we need to be, you know, we need to re build another co-location, another different way of content delivery network to compensate for this because we've had these things and, and the numbers make sense. So I think a lot of times it's making the numbers make sense to how much you're going to invest in that. I've seen the government do that, having been in a lot, a lot of experience with the government projects where 
they've got a single data center that's functioning one way you're working on as a worldwide platform. But these and these are not public infrastructure. They're they're private infrastructure, private data facilities. Um, the ones that we were that I was personally involved with in the past. And then it's like, hey, we all right now we need that co-location environment. We can't have anything down because we're providing critical level services. So they had some thresholds because you're talking multiple tiers of people involved with that, with the government involved, of course, and us as the contracting staff to sit there and go and identify what those thresholds needed to be. We can, this is acceptable before we turn our warm site, the site that's prepped and ready to go into the hot live site, um, you know, as, as kind of the failover. So I think it does really come back to, you've got to know the impact of what you're doing at a company level. You need to know your finances to understand how much it's costing you, not only in direct costs, but also the lost opportunity, particularly when you, you know, in their case with failed devices, you hope somebody like AWS has a whole pile of extra stuff building around, or in, you know, if it's networking devices, that they've got different ways to route stuff around um, to, to get things back up quick. But in the off case, that super, super weird random thing that goes down, you got your fingers crossed a little bit. It's not, it's not too bad. Well, and I think in, in AWS's case, I mean, obviously they had equipment, otherwise the audit would have lasted longer than seven hours. Uh, and Absolutely. so they were able to, they were able to, to, to to get around it and, and and navigate through that, but for a from a small business perspective, you know, what does that look like for you? How quickly can you navigate around that? What is your what is your incident response plan? How quickly can you action uh, put action against it? To you know, you should know. You know, going back to your point, you should know your numbers. That's what I tell people all the time. You should know your numbers. What does an hour of downtime cost you? Because if you don't if you don't think that the Fortune 500 companies know that, they know how much a second costs them. They got it down that that far. And so you need to know what's an hour of downtime cost you from an executive standpoint, so that you can then put value to remediation or mitigation. You know, all right, well, if, if an hour of downtime costs me X amount of millions of dollars, then I'm going to allocate, you know, a half a million or whatever that budgetary number is to make sure that we, we're in a position where we can avoid that at all costs, you know, or whatever that number is. But you should be having those conversations. And I think that's the reason why I, I wanted to have, you know, bring this this topic up or this article up so we can have this conversation to get our, our executives out there thinking in a different perspective, because they think of cybersecurity, they think of IT as just a tool, a resource and a, and a cost item on their balance sheet, where in all actuality, it, it, an ounce of prevention is, is worth is, is worth way more than what it's going to cost you to actually remediate and fix the issue. And so I, that's one of the things that I think this article points that out because we're putting all of our eggs in in one basket as we're moving to the cloud. And, you know, does it make sense to have redundant cloud systems? Most times, no. But you should understand, okay, this is the risk that I'm assuming. I'm a big believer in, you know, we're, we're going to assume some risk as business leaders. It's what we do because you can't mitigate every risk and avoid every single one of them. It's impossible. If you try to do that, you'd never be in business. So I think that you're, yeah, you're going to assume some, but assume it knowingly, not blindly. That's my big thing. That's my big argument is that anytime that we, just because you don't do something, Okay, that doesn't mean that the risk doesn't still exist. You're assuming that risk, you just unknowingly assumed it. So I prefer not to walk blindly. Let's be educated on what's going out there. Let's not put our heads in the sands and say, hey, these threats don't impact me. They only they only impact big people. 
No, because whenever it does bite you, it's going to bite you 10 times harder. And the chances are, you know, you might not be able to recover from it. And so that's, that's why I wanted to bring up these conversations. I think articles like this, they help paint that picture and just give us a different perspective on things. No, and I think that's a good way to kind of uh, put a pen on this uh, this first episode of the Sea World Podcast. What the takeaway is: don't assume risk blindly. You know, have your eyes open. Take take time to build that review process in, whether that's per project, per department, on some sort of cadence, some sort of schedule. So definitely, and then and then and I'm going to use one of my points just to make fun. Just know your numbers. Know your numbers. If you don't know your numbers. Um, whether you're an IT, whether you're somebody that's technical that wants more budget, you need to know the numbers before you go ask for, for more money. And on the flip side, you need to know your numbers so you can manage your business effectively. Couldn't have said it any better myself. So anything else as we, as we wrap up this, this, this first one, this is, this has been fun. I'm looking forward to this. I'm looking forward to continuing our, uh, our conversations. Hope other people will join in there. And if you happen to be watching this, I'm very animated when I talk. Um, AJ seems to be pretty stoic on the camera here right now, but I'm bouncing around and doing all kinds of stuff. And hopefully that didn't translate into the mic too bad, but uh, I, I did want to lead into a teaser, man. I got, I got something fun for, you know, for our next episode. And I, I just tease it and say, apparently there is definitely honor among thieves. Um, and uh, the people's court music theme is going off in my head right now, but we'll get into that on the next episode. I like it. I'm looking forward to it. Yep. Thanks, AJ. Thanks, guys.